1 John chapter 2 is where we are today. So, 1 John chapter 1, verse 4, John concludes his introduction to his letter with these words of encouragement. And these things we write to you that your joy may be full. Remember that? He was reminding the believers that he was an eyewitness to the reality of Jesus in the flesh. The reality of his eternal life and the reality that's in his resurrection and the reality of the fellowship that we have in the Father and in the Son. So John is writing these things that the believer may have the fullness of joy that is only experienced in fellowship in Christ. John continues his letter with this admonition that he is also writing that you may not sin. So he says, I write these things that your joy may be full, And I write these things that you may not sin. Why? Because sin hinders our fellowship. Sin robs us of joy. Therefore, John is writing these things that we may not sin. That brings us to 1 John chapter 2. And we're going to look at the first two chapters, I mean the first two verses of this chapter today. Read with me. My little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father. Jesus Christ, the righteous, and he himself is the propitiation for our sins, not for ours only, but also for the whole world. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. And Lord, just as we've already talked about, we have an advocate with the Father. If we sin, We know that Jesus is there working on our behalf. And Lord, that is truly good news. Father, I pray that you open our hearts and our minds today to hear the good word of God. I pray that our hearts would be good soil to receive the seed of your word and that you would do a work in us by your Holy Spirit to transform us, renew our minds, God, that we would be a people conformed to the very image of the Son of Glory. We ask this, God, that we, your people, your church in the earth, your body in the earth, would be a witness to this world walking in darkness, that we would show them through our words and through our deeds the God who is light. Father, we thank you for this. In Jesus' name, amen. So John begins this verse with these words, my little children. It's a term of endearment that John uses as the apostle as well as the spiritual father of these believers. He is addressing them not only as his spiritual children, but as children of God. And as his little children, he is encouraging them to live according to the way he has discipled them in Jesus Christ. This is what we are commanded to do, to make disciples. So you're here today to be equipped to go back out into the world and do the work of ministry. And what is the work of ministry? Well, some would say it's preaching the gospel. But why do we preach the gospel? The point of preaching the gospel is to make disciples. And so, yes, we preach the gospel. But 
The point of that is so that we would make disciples, make followers of Jesus. This is what Jesus has commanded his church to do, to make disciples of the nations. This is what John did in writing his letters. This is what he did in writing his gospel. This is what he did. He spent his life until the Lord called him home, making disciples, teaching them all that Jesus commanded, teaching them to obey, and then to go out and reproduce that which they received and learned and heard. These things I write to you. He is referring to those preceding verses, specifically verses 6 through 10 in 1 John chapter 1. In those verses, John tells us that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. That means sin and darkness is contrary to God who is light. And if we have fellowship together with the Father and the Son, sin cannot be part of that fellowship. So sin is mutually exclusive to God. Just as darkness is. God is light and there is no darkness in him at all. And John writes this, he says, so that you may not sin. So John informs the readers that he is writing these things so that you may not sin. The understanding here is that every believer should strive to live a life free from sin. That means we should each live with a desire and an intention to avoid or to walk free of sin, to not engage in it, to not make a practice of it. We're going to get much deeper into this as we continue on in this little book of 1 John. But to sin is to walk in darkness, and as children of God, we are to walk in the light as he is in the light. We are to walk away from sin, not in it. John is exhorting the believer how to walk. He's not putting on the believer an unrealistic expectation of walking completely free from never sinning. You understand this? The expectation is not that we will sin. The reality is that we will sin. So John is not giving us an expectation of sin. He is giving us the expectation that we will strive to walk free from sin. Though we can live striving to not sin, John understands in our humanity we will sin. Thus he writes, if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father. So John is not encouraging sin. He's providing comfort if we sin. And if anyone sins, he writes... Again, John is not assuming they will sin. He uses the conditional conjunction, and if. Not, not when, but and if. And he does this to instruct the believer what they are to do if they sin. In other words, he's not assuming they will sin. He is assuming they will try not to sin. But we know, try as we might, sin is present with us. And only Jesus walked in this life free of sin. Realistically, we know that we will sin, but we should live striving to.
to not sin. We do not go through life assuming or planning to sin. We live our life striving against it, trusting in Jesus who has freed us from the dominion of sin. So we acknowledge our sin, we repent of our sin, we confess it to God, and we trust that in Jesus our sin is forgiven and he has cleansed us from all unrighteousness. We're not saved by becoming good sin managers. So God doesn't look down from heaven and say, well, they're doing pretty good managing their sin. I'm going to think harder about saving them. They're not quite there yet, but maybe they'll make it one day. No, that's you working for your salvation. The Bible is clear. We do not work for our salvation. Salvation is by grace. It's by the grace of God through faith in Jesus Christ. So we're not saved by becoming good sin managers. We're saved by grace, and in our salvation, guess what we do? We work to become good sin managers. In other words, we work to minimize sin and to eliminate its control in our life. Now, we've learned this as we're going through Romans on Wednesday night, that Jesus delivers us from the dominion of sin, but sin is always present with us. In fact, he says, there's a law at work in my members. It's the law of sin. But now in Christ, the good news is that law does not have to rule me any longer. I can walk free from sin's dominion because Jesus saved us. So we do this by presenting our bodies. We minimize sin. We eliminate its control in our life. How? By presenting our bodies as living sacrifices to God. We no longer present our members as instruments of unrighteousness, but we present our members to God as instruments of righteousness. Sin is still present with us. How do we know that? Because we're all dying. Because these bodies are corrupt. This is why Jan has to have open heart surgery in a little over a week. Because her body is still corrupted by sin. The flesh that's why Paul says in the flesh, no good thing dwells. And so even if you become the most moralistic, well-behaved person, and we can see no sign of sin outwardly in your life, guess what? It's still present in you, and we know this because we're going to all meet death one day. But here's the good news. Jesus will one day put death, the last enemy, underfoot, and death will be no more. Pain will be no more. Suffering will be no more. And in the regeneration, in the new creation, when Jesus brings heaven to earth together and he rules and reigns on this earth and we rule and reign with him, guess what there will not be? There will be no death. And there will be no death because sin will be no more. So until then, we still struggle with sin, at least in our bodies. But that doesn't give us an excuse to let sin dominate us and control our lives. So we are, yes, to manage sin, to minimize sin, and to eliminate its control in our life. That doesn't save us. We have been given the power to do that because God in his grace has saved us and put his spirit in us. So now we present our members as instruments of righteousness, we strive against sin, and on the condition anyone does sin, John writes, we have an advocate with the Father. And John writes these words of good news, letting us know that 
we have this advocate with the Father. Who is it? Jesus Christ, the righteous. And John is not saying this to encourage sin, but to comfort us when we do sin. Actually, we have an advocate on earth, and we have an advocate in heaven. The Holy Spirit is God's advocate on earth with man, while Jesus Christ is man's advocate with the Father. This word translated advocate here in 1 John is the same word used four times in John's gospel to describe the Holy Spirit. This same word is translated helper in John 14, 16, John 14, 26, John 15, 26, and John 16, 7. For example, let me read to you John 14, 16. Jesus says, and I will pray the Father and he will give you another helper. That is the same word here, another advocate, another helper, another comforter. That he may abide with you forever. How long does our advocate abide with us? Forever. How long does Jesus advocate for us before the Father? Forever. This word is correctly translated helper as well as advocate. It rightly describes one who is a helper, an intercessor, an advocate. This helper or this advocate is one who is summoned to the side of another to intercede, to plead one's case, and to help. This certainly describes the ministry of Jesus for us with the Father. The term advocate is a legal term. If you've ever gone to court, if you've ever ever had to hire a lawyer or had a lawyer, sometimes lawyers are called advocates. That's what they are. That's what they do. So this term is a legal term, and this is how John applies it here in referring to Jesus Christ as our advocate with the Father. Christ is advocating and interceding on our behalf with the Father as an advocate in a courtroom would before a judge. Jesus is qualified to advocate for us in the presence of the Father. Why? Because he is righteous. This is why John qualifies him as Jesus Christ, the righteous. It is the righteousness of Christ that qualifies him to plead our case before the Father. We can't plead our own case before the Father because we're not righteous. We're guilty. But Jesus has taken that guilt. Jesus is our righteousness. If we sin, Jesus Christ, the righteous, intercedes on our behalf as our advocate. This is to be great comfort for us, not so that we may continue to sin, but so that we know we have such an advocate working for us with the Father when we do sin. John uses the inclusive we in declaring that we have an advocate with the Father so that he is affirming the reality of sin, not the expectation of it. The inclusive we reveals that John himself knows the reality of sin even in him as well as in us all. It's not that John was out living a sinful life. It's that John knew sin was present with him because his body was corrupt. His body was dying. He knew that death would one day take him because of sin that was present in him. 
So don't think of sin just as your immoral behavior. You can get beyond your immoral behavior, but you still don't get beyond the sin that separates you from God. And it is Jesus Christ, our advocate, who is before the Father advocating, interceding on our behalf so that we can be brought into the presence of God. And if we confess our sin, Jesus is faithful. He is just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. This is the good news and the good work of our advocate, Jesus Christ, the righteous. In verse 2, John writes, And he himself, Jesus himself, is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the whole world. Jesus himself, not another, animals, sheep, goats, bulls, Animals were sacrificed for centuries in the temple, in the tabernacle, then in the temple to atone for man's sin. But here John says, and he himself is the propitiation for our sins. It's not the blood of bulls and goats. It is the blood of Jesus that atones for our sin. Jesus himself is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Jesus Christ The sinless is himself the sacrifice for the sinful. Paul describes it this way in his letter to the Corinthians. In 2 Corinthians 5.21, Paul writes, For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Think about that for a moment. Jesus, who knew no sin, became sin for us, that we would become the righteousness of God in him. I don't know about you, but that is more than I can comprehend in my mind. And I don't have to understand it. I have to believe it. I have to trust it. I don't understand how Jesus, the holy and righteous, sinless Son of God, I don't understand how he can become sin, but he did. He willingly took that upon himself. He took my sin, your sin, the sin of all who will be redeemed in Christ. He took all of that sin upon himself so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. He himself is the propitiation for our sin. That word, propitiation, is a complicated-sounding word that simply means atoning sacrifice. That's all it means. It's defined as the means for having our sins forgiven. In other words, Jesus himself is the means by which our sins are forgiven. He is the atoning sacrifice. He is the sacrifice that atones for our sin. When you read the word propitiation, just think atoning sacrifice. Remember, Jesus himself is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. But John doesn't stop there. He says, and not for ours only, but also for the whole world. And he himself is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the whole world. 
If we believe the scripture, we must take this statement at face value and accept the language of the Bible. We must do that for all of scripture. Jesus Christ is the atoning sacrifice for the whole world. We rightly understand this for what it is. We also understand that it is in the context of the whole counsel of God revealed in his word. You might say, what are you talking about, Pastor Jeff? Well, let me see if I can help us understand. John affirms that Jesus is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, but John also adds these words, and not for ours only, but also for the whole world. John affirms that the atonement Jesus effected is for the whole world. This is not disputable. It is scriptural. There are different views, though, not on the words that John wrote, but on what those words mean or imply. In writing that Jesus is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, John is indicating that Jesus atoned for him and the believers receiving his letter, in fact, for all believers. Jesus atoned for us here today. If you are trusting in Jesus, you can be assured that your sins have been atoned for by the blood of Jesus, by the atoning sacrifice that Jesus became for you. Not only that, Jesus is also the atoning sacrifice for the whole world. We know Jesus atoned for the sins of all peoples, both Jews and Gentiles. But did Jesus die for the sins of every single human on earth, past, present, and future? That's a question that creates a sticking point with many people. And the reason we're going to talk about this is because we need to understand how we are saved. And in understanding how we are saved, we also need to understand how we are not saved. And the short answer to that is, you don't save yourself. Did Jesus die to give people the opportunity to be saved? Or did Jesus die to effectually save all who will be saved? I believe the scripture teaches that Jesus died to effectually save all who will be saved. There are many who believe Jesus did die for every single human being. There are also many who believe Jesus did not die for every single human being. But Jesus died only for the elect. The elect, who who is that? The elect are those given to Jesus by the Father before the foundation of the world. We may say the language of the Bible seems to affirm both positions, and it seems to. We must also consider the teaching contained in the Bible along with the language. The teaching of Jesus himself gives us clarity concerning those who will actually be saved and those who will not be saved. This does not change the language of the Bible. It helps us to understand its meaning or its implications. In the words of Jesus himself recorded for us in John's gospel account, Jesus indicates that there are those the Father gives to the Son that belong to the Son, and there are others that do not belong to the Son. There are those called his sheep, 
And there are others who are not his sheep. His sheep hear his voice. The other sheep do not hear him, nor will they follow him. Why? Because they do not belong to him. Listen to the words of Jesus and take heart. If you've ever had the occasion to doubt your salvation, I want you to listen closely. Because you, and we're going to see this later on in this little letter toward the end of it, when John says, I write these things that you may know, not hope, not think, not pray. We, we write these things that you may know that you have eternal life. Before I read the words of Jesus to you, let me ask you a question. How long is eternal life? Eternal. Forever. So John says, I'm writing to you that you may know that you have eternal life. Life that won't end. When Jesus gives you eternal life, it is exactly what that is. Eternal. You're not going to lose it. Because you didn't gain it. It was a gift given to you by God. In fact, Jesus is not who you possess. Jesus is who possesses you. And Jesus has promised he will never lose you. So listen to the words of Jesus. And take heart and know that the eternal life you have in Jesus is just that. It is eternal. John 6, 36 and 37. Jesus said, I say to you that you have seen me, and yet you do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me. And the one who comes to me, I will by no means cast out. Have you come to Jesus? If you have come to Jesus, his promises, he will never cast you out. John 6, 39. Again, the words of Jesus. This is the will of the Father who sent me. That of all he has given me, I should lose nothing, but should raise it up at the last day. Praise God. Again, John 6, listen to the words of Jesus. No one, pretty definite, no one can come to me Unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up the last day. John 6, 65. And Jesus said, Therefore I have said to you that no one can come to me unless it has been granted to him by my Father. John 10, 11. Jesus describes himself this way. He said, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. A few verses down in John 10, 14, again, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and am known by my own. In other words, Jesus knows his sheep and his sheep know him. John 10, 26 and 27. But you do not believe because you are not my sheep. As I said to you, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. Are you following Jesus today? If you are, it's because you are his sheep. 
And you know how you became his sheep? Because the Father gave you to Jesus before the foundation of the world. John 10, 29 and 30. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. Those who belong to Jesus are His because the Father gave them to the Son. There are the ones Jesus, these are the ones Jesus calls His sheep. There are those who do not belong to Jesus because the Father did not give them to the Son. These are not his sheep, and they will not hear, nor will they follow him, according to Jesus. We may say this with certainty. The atoning blood of Jesus effectually saves all those the Father has given to Jesus before the foundation of the world. There is absolutely no doubt about that. Those saved are those redeemed by the blood of Christ from the whole world. However you may interpret the scope of the atonement of Christ, the scripture is true. He himself is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the whole world. The salvation brought to this world in Jesus Christ bears this out to be true. The very fact that we are sitting here on the other side of the world 2,000 years after the resurrection of Jesus bears this out that Jesus is the atoning sacrifice for the whole world. I believe every drop of the atoning blood of Jesus Christ is effectual to accomplish all of the Father's will concerning salvation. It saves every last one whom the Father has given to Christ. It saves every one of God's elect. The same blood that saves all who trust in Jesus is the same blood that brings judgment upon all who reject Jesus. Yes, I said that right. The same blood that saves is the same blood that will bring judgment upon those who reject Christ. Consider the scene when Jesus is before Pilate and the people cry out for his death. It's recorded for us. In Matthew 27, 24 through 25. Matthew 27, 24. When Pilate saw that he could not prevail at all, but rather that the tumult was rising, he took water and washed his hands before the multitude, saying, I am innocent of the blood of this just person. You see to it. And all the people answered and said, His blood be upon us and our children. Those rejecting Christ invited his blood to be upon them and their children. These are not the children of God. The blood of Jesus that saves the children of God is also the blood that invites judgment upon the children of wrath. And and Paul uses this term. He describes sons of disobedience, children of wrath, God himself in the garden said there would be the seed of the woman who would crush the head of the serpent and he would put enmity against the seed of the woman who is Christ against the seed of the serpent who are all of those who do not belong to Christ. This is what Jesus is telling the, the, the Pharisees recorded in John 8. Go back and read John 8. And he says, you can't hear me. You can't believe me because you are not of your 
uh, you are of your father the devil. And they said, we're sons of Abraham. He said, if you were sons of Abraham, you would believe me. You would trust me. Those rejecting Christ have invited his blood to be upon them. And it is for judgment. Whether you believe the atonement of Jesus is limited to the elect or made available to every human in the world, in the whole world, we know the blood of Jesus is more than sufficient to save all who will be saved. It is sufficient for the whole world. There is no doubt about that. This This salvation that Jesus has brought is for the whole world. And we bear witness to that today. Jesus himself taught that salvation comes only to those the Father has granted to the Son. These alone are effectually saved by Christ in his atoning sacrifice that is sufficient for the whole world. He himself is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the whole world. All who are chosen in him before the foundation of the world are marked out and foreordained to be saved. These are his sheep who hear his voice and follow no other. Jesus is the atoning sacrifice for the whole world. Listen to the words of the Apostle Paul, affirming this glorious salvation that has been given to us by God's grace, as he chose us in him before creation. Ephesians chapter 1, beginning in verse 4. Paul writes, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. Let me just pause for a moment and ask you a question. How many sins had you committed before the foundation of the world? How hard did you work for your salvation before the foundation of the world? And don't give me this, God is omniscient, so he can look through the annals of time and and he knows exactly what you're going to do. That's not what the Bible says. That's not what the Bible teaches, any way, shape, or form. That's not what Jesus said in all the scriptures I just read to you. Everything Jesus said about those who were saved had nothing to do about what you do. It has everything to do about what him and the Father do. So remember this. When you're tempted by Satan to believe that you've lost your salvation or you're too bad for God or you've committed too many sins and surely God can't love me, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him, In love, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ, according to the good pleasure of his will. Notice what it does not say. According to how hard you work, according to what you will do, according to what you will believe, according to what? No, according to the good pleasure of his will. Why are you saved today? Not by anything that you've done, but by the good pleasure of his will. And God bothered to write it in the scripture over and over again that your salvation was accomplished before the creation so that you can't take any glory for it. Ephesians 2 affirms this. We're saved by grace through faith. It's not of works, lest any man should boast. Having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace 
What's the praise and the glory going to go to? Our hard work? No, his grace. By which he made us accepted in the beloved. Do you know how many times as a pastor I've had people tell me, if only I could become accepted by God. Listen, you will never become accepted by God. I will never make myself acceptable to God. It is Christ who has made us accepted in the beloved. It is his grace that has made us accepted. Church, that's good news. That ought to make every one of us shout glory because of what Jesus has done for us. And we shouldn't kick against that just because we want to be in control of ourselves. And we want to control the world we live in and we want to control our lives because this is really what this comes down to. And how do I know that? Because we can go all the way back to the Garden of Eden when there was just one man and one woman there and one tree that they couldn't eat from. And what did they decide they were going to do? We'll just take control of this ourselves. We'll be our own God and we're going to eat from this tree that God told us not to. And the problem of man from the beginning has always been that we want control. And when we say that God saved us before there was a creation, you know what that does? It takes control away from us. And we don't like that. But we have to accept what the scripture teaches us. Now don't hear what I'm not saying. You have choices. You can make a lot of them. Some good and many not good. This is why we're talking about sin. This is why we're talking about having an advocate with the Father when we do sin, because we're going to make bad choices. We have a will, and we can exercise it, and we often do against God's will. So the fact that God chose us in him before the foundation of the world, the fact that we can't come to Jesus until the Father allows us to come to him doesn't mean we don't have a will. We absolutely have a will. We exercise it all the time. This is why we're talking about sin today. It's why man fell in the garden. It's why we still want to keep control of our lives because we don't trust God's will. Oh, we do to a degree, right? But there's no one we trust more than we trust ourselves. And we can say that's not true, but guess what? Our lives demonstrate that reality all the time, all the time. Because the Father chose us in him before the foundation of the world, we belong to Jesus. We are those from the whole world given to Jesus by the Father. Jesus is the atoning sacrifice for our sins because we belong to him. We belong to him because we are given to him before the foundation by the Father. Jesus is the good shepherd who gives his life for the sheep. We are his sheep if we are in Christ. He knows his sheep and his sheep know him. I pray you know him today. More than that, I pray he knows you. He gives his life as the atoning sacrifice for his sheep from the whole world, both Jew and Gentile. This is precisely what Jesus meant when he said in John 10, 16, and other sheep I have which are not of this fold, not of this Jewish fold, them also I must bring, and they will hear my voice, and there will be one flock from the whole world, from every tribe, from every tongue, from every nation, and one shepherd, Jesus Christ, the righteous. 
Now in Christ there is one flock from the whole world with one shepherd. We see in Ephesians 2, 14 through 18 that there is now one new man from both Jew and Gentile. Ephesians 2, verse 14, for he himself is our peace who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, that is, the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so that he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross, thereby putting to death the enmity. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off. Man, that's good news. I was far off, and he came and preached peace. To those who are near He also preached peace. This is Jew and Gentile. Far and near, Jesus is our peace. For through him, we both have access by one spirit to the Father. Jesus himself is our peace, and he is the atoning sacrifice for the sins of the whole world. His blood was shed for all who will be saved. All who will be saved or all who the Father gives to the Son. His blood was shed to atone for the whole world. For all who were marked out by the Father to be the one new man. Or we could say it like this. The one new humanity that is reconciled to God in one body through the cross. And that's who we are in Christ. We are the new humanity. Born of the second man the last Adam, Jesus Christ. The atonement of Christ saves us to the uttermost. It saves all who will be saved. It brings just judgment to all who will not be saved. That is why we can say that the atoning blood of Jesus is efficacious in every way down to the last drop. The atonement of Christ saves us to the uttermost, The blood of Jesus is sufficient to atone for the whole world, for every human being. The blood of Christ is effectual to atone for the whole world, for every human being given to Christ by the Father. Thus we can say that not one drop of the blood of Jesus was spilled in vain. It is both all-sufficient and effectual to save every one who will be saved. Thus John writes, my little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he himself is the propitiation for our sins and not only for ours, but also for the whole world. This is God's word given to us that we may not sin. We are to rest in the promise and the hope that is provided to everyone in the whole world who will trust in it, who will obey it, and who will live by it. We come to the Lord's table each week and we acknowledge the promise and the hope that is given to us in Jesus Christ, the righteous. We come to the table to give thanks for Jesus Christ, for in Him all the promises of God are yes And amen. And that, my friends, is good news. Let's all stand. There's a world of people out there who need to know Jesus. We are to be a people who strive against sin, 
knowing that if we sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. We are to be a people who know that Christ is the atoning sacrifice for our sin, and not for ours only, but for the whole world. We are to be a people preaching this good news that anyone and everyone who will trust in Jesus will have their sin atoned for by his sacrifice for sin. We are to be a people who know that Christ will atone for the sin of any and all who will call upon his name and trust in him to be their atoning sacrifice no matter who they are, no matter where they are from, and no matter what they have done. We need to be a people not only who know his blood is all sufficient for sin, but a people who believe that his sacrifice has actually accomplished the complete atonement for our sin in Jesus Christ. We need to be a people who will share that message with courage, not fearing what man may think, but fearing God and knowing there is no hope and there is no salvation in any other name except the name of Jesus Christ, the righteous. Amen.